Thanks for tuning in to the teaching ministry of Mike Hilson, Senior Pastor of New Life Wesleyan Church of La Plata, Maryland. It's a church that plants churches and Where You Are Church, an online church helping people reconnect with God through practical content and a growing community. Hey, we're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to this week's message. We hope that this teaching helps you love God and love people better every day. And if you enjoy what you hear today, consider sharing it with someone else. Now enjoy today's teaching. Today we're going to start a new series that I'm excited about, but when I describe it to you, your your eyes are going to glaze over and some of you are going to consider checking out. Listen, don't. Stay with us on this because we're going to talk about, we're going to spend the next, the next four weeks talking about some of the overarching philosophical constructs in which our society functions right now. But we want to compare those to how Jesus lived his life and what he has to say. So we're calling this series The Why and the Way of Jesus, and that is as opposed to the why and the way of modern philosophical thought and the modern philosophical culture. Now, you might say to yourself, I don't want, I don't want to study this. I don't, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about philosophy. I I don't want to talk about philosophers. And I got to tell you, I, I, I understand that. I understand that take because reading philosophers almost to a person is mind numbing. These people talk in circles and they talk in parables that don't make sense. And they talk in, they talk in ways that, that it's just, it's often almost impossible to decipher what a, what, a, what a philosopher is writing in the moment. You kind of have to read it two or three or four different times in order to just kind of get your head around what are they trying to say. And so, and so I, 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 we're not going to get into the details of all that. You say, well, then why are we going to talk about it all? Because the thinking of these philosophers that are to you and I mind-numbing become the basis for the education of the academics in our world. Academics base their way of teaching, their way of thinking, their way of understanding the world. They base it in the thoughts and the minds of these philosophers and the philosophies that they present. You got to understand, inside of the academy, inside of academics, there has been an, a wholesale rejection of the person of God. If you so much as, as mention an unknown deity that somehow has some type of influence in our world, you're immediately branded as unscientific or unintelligent inside of the academy. So what we've got to do is understand what has that thinking done to the culture around us and then unpack what does that, what are the outcomes of this as opposed to what Jesus teaches us? Because Jesus is also a philosopher. Listen, everybody stop. Don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me. He's God. He's the son of God. He's God incarnate. He's part of the Trinity. He's the one that made it all up. I got it. He's creator. He's designer. He's Lord. Got it. But what he gives us is a philosophical way of seeing the world. And it's based in reality because he's the creator of all things. What these other people are giving us is a philosophical way of seeing the world that's not based in any reality, that actually actively rejects the idea of a known deity, a known creator, rejects that idea out of hand, and then makes up their own way of thinking. Here's the problem with that. You can have a philosopher that's very popular for a moment, 
And then 20 years from now, you get a guy that says something that everybody thinks is a little bit smarter, so they all start following that thinking. And then another thinking, and there's no basis for reality. I'll get into some of this as we go along. Now you say, well, well where, how in the world does this have anything to do with the Bible? Well, the one we're going to start with today, it will, will, I, can, I can immediately attach biblically. The one we're going to talk about today is called nihilism. Now nihilism, and that word will be on the screen so you can see it spelled out so you can look it up, okay? Nihilism. Nihilism is basically the rejection of any, any sense of known truths or understanding around us. Nihilism basically says, think of annihilation where everything is done away with, and nihilism would do away with all the normative ways of viewing the world. So it gets rid of a lot of things. It gets rid of a lot, rid of, a lot of preconceived ideas and notions of the world. And it ends up in a place, watch, you say, well, where are you going to find nihilism in the Bible? Well, it's real simple. Go to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 2 reads like this. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. That's the Bible. That's straight out of the Bible. You're not going to find a worship song written from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. Nobody's going to do that. Nobody puts that to memory so that they can wake up every morning and remind themselves of this, of this wonderful, uh, encouraging scripture that I've memorized. Nobody does that. But this is, what, this is what the writer of Ecclesiastes, who, by the way, is Solomon, is writing about. This is what he's saying about life. Everything is meaningless. Now, I wanna, I'm going to begin... I'm going to start from the beginning juxtaposing this against what Jesus says. So I want, to, I want to show you what Jesus says. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. We are the sheep, he's the gate. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. That would be the philosophers who are taking away the truth of who God is. Okay, But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Then he says, they will come in and go out and find pasture. Then he says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what these philosophies have done. They've stolen our peace. They've killed our future. They've destroyed our lives. Over and over and over again, we see this happen. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants to give us a full life. Now, I put that there for you to have it in your mind because that's where we're headed, okay? But I want to show you something. Stay back in Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is, old, is, is utterly meaningless. This is the writer uh, 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 of Ecclesiastes. Now watch, verse 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 3. He says, What do people gain from all their labors in which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and then turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear its fill of hearing you hear what he's saying he he's expressing something here that is very popular in our current culture younger generations especially are very caught up in this meaninglessness the idea that there's no real meaning to life in fact can i be honest i've noticed i've noticed a lot of younger people some people my age but a lot of younger people rejecting the idea of work because it's meaningless 
What? I, I, listen to this phrase. So I'm supposed to work till I'm 62, work for 30, 40 years, so that I can retire and enjoy life for what? 10, 15, 20 years? This, this is the thinking that's out there. Well, and my question has always been, because this, this is foreign to me, my question has been, you don't plan to enjoy your work? You don't plan to enjoy what you do for every day for a living? You don't plan to find meaning and purpose and joy in your labors? Because the truth is, if you don't find meaning or purpose or joy in your labors, then yeah, you're wasting 40 years of life so that you can retire and enjoy 10, 20 years of life after that, 10, 20, 30 years of life after that. But, but that's a wrong way of thinking. But it is, it is what the writer here is writing about. Why, why do they labor? Why do they toil? Why do they do everything cyclical? Everything difficulty in life makes life seem meaningless. And 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 look, let me be honest. All of our, all of us are going to face difficulty. This author says nothing that isn't true. What do people gain from all the labors in which they toil in the sun? And then generations come and go. And then the sun rises and sets. The, 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 the rivers flow into the ocean, but the ocean is never full. And then the water from the ocean evaporates and ends up back on top of the mountains where it becomes a river again. It's all just, it just continues on and on and on and on and on. That never seems to have purpose or meaning. The mundane nature of life can make life seem meaningless. Then he goes on. Chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, let's try a different path. We're not going to go down that path of labor and toil. I, try, I said to myself, come now, I'll test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself up with wine and embracing folly. My mind, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. He, in fact, look, what he's saying is, I'm going to go out and I'm going to drink and I'm going to carouse and I'm going to party and I'm going to do all this. I'm going to do all of that. But here's the problem. Pleasure, too, is meaningless. And he's not wrong. There's an emptiness to this kind of pleasure. There's an emptiness to this kind of chasing. There's an emptiness to this kind of happy that we're chasing in our world. And it leaves us with nothing but regrets and hangovers. And there we are. We're caught. It's meaningless. Then he says this. I'm in chapter 2, verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs uh, to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who, who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone else in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and of provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a, and a harem as well. The delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun, and he's not wrong. Wealth is meaningless. You can apply it. You can pile up all the stuff in the world. 
and it still has no real meaning. It gives your life no purpose. It gives you no direction. When well, y'all, let's keep reading. It gets darker. It gets darker. So I hated my life. He writes, starting verse seventeen. So I hated life. This sounds like this sounds like modern culture. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun is grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all that the fruit of my toil into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all of the toilsome labor under the sun for a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and, and, and anxious, anxious living with which they labor under the sun? All their days of work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds are not at rest. This too is meaningless. Are you depressed yet? Have I got you there? Because in the end, what I've just come to is, look, I've, I've, so far I've told you that difficulty or struggle is meaningless. I've told you that pleasure is meaningless. I've told you that wealth is meaningless. And now we get to this last part of chapter 2, and it, 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 he just sums it up. Life itself is meaningless. That, my friends, is the definition of nihilism. Life itself is meaningless, and you can't find meaning in it. But I want to show you something. Life is meaningless unless unless there's something else let me keep reading in chapter 2 because in chapter 2 he starts to solve his problem verse 24 ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 24 a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil this too i see watch is from the hand of god for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless. This chasing after wealth and, and, and knowledge without God is meaningless. It is a chasing after the wind. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus comes that we might have life and have it to the full. Even Solomon understood that when he said, it says, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. God can give you all of that. Without God, there is no definition of good. Without God, there is no definition of right. Without God, there is no understanding of truth. But with him, you can understand truth, you can understand right, you can understand good, you can find purpose in this life because God made you for a reason. Listen carefully. If God didn't make you, you truly are nothing but a sack of dirt. Me too. Because we're just like any other animal. We just have figured out more creative ways to destroy ourselves. But if there is a God, then we have meaning we have purpose and we have value. You say, what am I supposed to do with that? Well, I'm going to give you some advice that two-thirds of it is going to sound like what a preacher would say, and the last third is going to sound like something you've never heard a preacher say. I, th I think when he says wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, and as you read through the rest of this, we put it very simply because it's, in, it's, it's the words that Jesus says. 
love God and love people. You know, uh, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Love God and love people. That's the first point. Follow God and love the people around you. That will give your life meaning. Now, I'm going to give you a third one. I'm going to give you a third one that's not going to sound a lot like a preacher. But I think it's clearly here in, in, in Ecclesiastes. It's biblical. You need to love God. You need to love people. And listen to me. You need to enjoy the ride. Truth is, we've got eternity in heaven with Jesus after this, right? But the truth is also that we only get to take this journey one time. And you ought to enjoy the ride. Can I be honest? I think holiness people and a lot of church people are really good at the love God, love people side. And they're really bad at the just enjoy life along the way side. They kind of want to take all the joy and meaning and fun. I'm not arguing you chase this the way that Solomon did. It obviously had no meaning, did no good for him. But I am telling you, we ought to enjoy this ride. God made us that we might have, listen to his words, life and have it to the full. We should enjoy this life. That's why Solomon says, he says here, he says, we need to, I can do, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. Why? Because when you do this, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. We follow God, love God love people, and enjoy the ride. Pray with me. Lord, our world, our lives, our situation is not meaningless. In you, we were created for a purpose. We were created for a direction. So Lord, what I ask is that you would today renew within us our love for you, our, 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 our dependence on you. Let us reject the ideas around us that you're not there and accept our relationship with you, remembering and realizing everything you've done for us. Teach us, Lord, to love other people. Teach us, Lord, to make them the focus, not make ourselves the focus. But Lord, in the end, would you give us the ability and the capacity to enjoy the ride? Lord, you made this life so that we might, we might live it to the full. Help us to do that. And Lord, we'll give you praise for everything you do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to have a little back and forth discussion right now. I've been sitting here listening, and one thing that's been stuck in my mind right from the beginning is kind of the shock and awe hearing Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, apart from Jesus, come to this conclusion at the end of his life that everything is meaningless. How can somebody who is a believer, who's a lover of God, who's seen God work mightily in their life, who's literally heard the audible voice of God, all right? And maybe there's some of our listeners who've had experiences you can't explain like I have with God. How do we not end up like Solomon? Well, well but let me challenge a part of your, a part of your uh, thinking here, because I don't think that's where Solomon is in his life. Sol this is toward the end of Solomon's life when he writes Ecclesiastes. And uh, Solomon has violated a great deal of the, of the uh, parameters God mm -hmm. put out there for a king. But one of the major ones is he has this whole harem of wives, probably numbering in the hundreds, but there's obviously only a few that he's around. Here, here's the issue. Mm -hmm. He was not careful to make sure that those wives were Jewish. In fact, many of his marriages were political in nature, so he brought, he's got these women from all over the place. He's now surrounded with this 
cacophony, this 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 noise mm-hmm. of, of different gods and different theologies that are that are now around him at all times. And anybody who thinks that a wife does not affect the way you think has never been married. <laughs> and so the truth is, these women are are affecting him. So he's mm-hmm. honestly, I think, I think at this point in Solomon's life, he's dropping into almost nihilism, where he's kind of. All of the noise of the different gods and the different theologies and the different thinking is just messing with his head, and, and he's not finding joy in life because he's not focused on God. Mm-hmm. So in your, in your question, you said it, someone who focuses on God, who's committed to God, and I'm afraid that's not exactly where Solomon is in the moment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's living in a blessing because God's made a promise to David. Mm-hmm. That he'd see Solomon all, through, all the way through, and God has made a promise to Solomon. So he's living in a blessing. I'm just not sure he's living out the blessing he's living in. Mm-hmm. So the answer really is stay connected with the Lord. Yes. And, keep and, your heart and eyes focused on And him. keep all the rest of the noise. It's going to be there, mm-hmm. but keep it as, at as much mm-hmm. of a distance as possible. Because yeah. there's a lot of noise. You need to understand the noise. Mm-hmm. You need to understand the philosophies. Mm-hmm. But understand them and keep them away. I understand fire, but that doesn't mean I jump in it. Yeah. In yeah. fact, the fact I understand it means I won't jump in you it. Can jump you can know? jump over it, though, at a right. campfire. No, I don't do no, that either. I don't that. even do that. Okay. You, you've seen me athletically try to jump. It would not be a good thing. <laughs> Very small fire. Very small Very fire. Small. Match. Just for marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And marry well, I think, is the other lesson. Yes. You know, yes. You wanna, you wanna... That's 100% good advice. <laughs> marry well, marry once. Yes. Yes. Do it right the first time and don't give up on <laughs> advice it. Advice for all of our single young men and women that are watching right now. Marry once, marry well. Okay, so some people argue that nihilism is a better way to live because it frees them up from caring too much. And this kind of ties in with Buddhist philosophy a little bit. Could you talk about that at all? Yeah, well, but here's the problem. It frees them up from caring too much. The only thing that gives life meaning is what we care about or the people we care about. Mm Mm-hmm are the truths we care about. I was reading earlier when I was doing some prep work for this, and one of the things they're noticing on college campuses, and I can speak to this as well from Southern Wesleyan, where you know where I'm the board chair down there, and it, it, there's such a gap of true belief, of belief in truth, let me say it that way, that it is very easy for college students these days to be drawn into anything that seems to have meaning. So when you say it relieves us from caring too much, mm-hmm. well, the, the end result of that is we see college students relieved of their pressures of following God or their truth mm-hmm. of God or their barriers, their boundaries, their shackles, however people would say it. They're relieved of that, but they now have no meaning. Therefore, we see them at higher degrees than normal falling into cultic behavior or even going so far as to just break out of the U.S. and go into an Islamic culture and become enslaved, girls becoming enslaved in Islamic culture because they, they and I mean ultra-conservative Islamic culture, not all Islamic cultures are like this, mm-hmm. but, but because they honestly, they want meaning and purpose more than they want this freedom. Why? Because human beings are built to have meaning. We're made in the image of God. So we pursue that kind of meaning. Mm-hmm. And those who don't go cultic or don't go the, go the other direction, the others, they get caught up in political movements that have no value ultimately. Because sure, okay, you got Joe Biden elected. Mm-hmm. At best, that's eight years of your life. That's not meaningful. Mm. 
you know, I mean, okay. Mm-hmm. Yay, you. You know, you got two college careers taken care of. What are you going to do with the other 82 years of your life? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's it, they've dropped into meaningless things. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think that God is what gives structure mm-hmm. to our thinking. They used to say, you probably don't remember anybody ever saying this because it probably broke loose between our generations, but... Um, they used to call science the mo- they used to call theology the mother of all, all sciences. sciences. Yeah, I know that yeah. phrase. Mm-hmm. And so the reason they did that was because it was the, it was the Western European Church mm-hmm. that want that believed that if we could understand nature to its fullest, we would see God. Yeah, and that God put clues in yeah. all of nature for us to find Him. So science is born there. Mm-hmm. That science tried to kill God, mm-hmm. and yet it keeps proving God. Yeah, and that's another question I have. You know, if nihilism is rejecting all religious and moral principles as empty or meaningless, doesn't that make nihilism itself a kind of faith or religious belief system in oh, itself? Oh, 100%. Uh, Nietzsche, would, Nietzsche would go with that. Nietzsche, when you read Nietzsche, mm-hmm. uh, kind, of, kind of the father of modern nihilism, I, mm-hmm. I, would, I would assume people would attach that. I'm not a philosopher, nor am I a philosophy student. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but Nietzsche is the one that, who said God is dead. And when you read his, uh, his I, I can't remember the name of the character he used in his parable, but that character in the parable remember. takes on a prophetic type of role, mm-hmm. a prophetic teacher guru type of role. And he simply replaces God with another teacher. But that teacher is teaching in a way that feels, in, his, in Nietzsche's own writings, mm-hmm. that feels very religious. Mm-hmm. And oh, absolutely, atheism is a theological position. Mm-hmm. It is a religion in and of itself. When someone looks at you and says, I'm going to give you a quick one. I would get so lost in the weeds on this. <laughs> but when somebody looks at you and says, oh, you believe in God, well, that's not scientific. Okay. Well, you believe in the Big Bang Theory. And the Big Bang Theory argues that a force that we don't understand and have not met and cannot describe nor can we replicate moved on everything in the universe and caused it to explode and expand, and it's still expanding to this place. That's basically the Big Bang Theory. Okay. All you're saying is that source can't be known. If I try to name the source and call it God, then I have not changed your thinking. But at the same time, you now I, I, you will dismiss me as unscientific when I'm making the exact same argument. Mm-hmm. A force that you cannot picture, you cannot contain, you cannot, you cannot prove in a, in a lab, you cannot replicate, moved on everything and spoke and the world came into existence. That's the exact argument. But mm-hmm. because I use the word God, you'll call me unscientific, mm-hmm. yeah. but you'll call you scientific. That's religion. You There's start, yes, you start from there. a faith. Yeah, which is exactly why I asked the question, because it, it seems to beg the question, ultimately, like, it's it's a belief. There's no proof Absolutely. in this. You know, it's funny because one of the first things that God lets Adam do is name things. Right. Adam is doing nothing but assigning meaning to the things that are. Okay. So there's this there's this aspect of him perceiving his reality, mm-hmm. but God's given him this permission to go ahead and participate as a co-creator in a way. Yeah, he doesn't but wait, 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 no, no. He doesn't create anything. He names yes. what was already created. All what was already created. But God's like, bring them along, and mm-hmm. we're going to do this together in a way. I'm going to let you right. have this part. And 
And that's kind of what nihilism is doing in a sense, is saying, mm -hmm. I, want, I want to create things according to my own terms, and I want to assign my own level of value to the things that are existence around me. I don't want to accept them as they are. What really what we're talking about is actually postmodernism. Yes. N nihilism is 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 a major form of postmodern thinking. Truth is is subjective. There is no real right. objective truth. There is no god. Well, it's all stems, it's all connected. Yes. Foucault, Derrida, all these people whose yes. names I just couldn't pronounce before we started this conversation, but you corrected <laughs> me. Now I know how to say their names correctly. But the bottom line is that we're just trying to go back to the garden like and yes. you know, with with our try to be naked and unashamed and do things the way we want without him, and reject the things that but are. But it's going to drive us right back to him because Foucault and Derrida, um, who I would never recommend anyone try to read Foucault, especially it's 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 incomprehensible. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, but he's kind of the father of postmodernism. Foucault and Derrida did nothing really but try to out Nietzsche Nietzsche. Mm. And so uh, they, they just took it to the next logical step. Mm -hmm. But what they did was they got rid of relative truth. They got rid of the idea that a truth can be known, a known truth can be real, and they replace it with experiential truth. So what's real is what you experienced. And I cannot argue mm -hmm. with your experience of life. Mm -hmm. I can't take any, any objective truth and, and somehow violate your experience of life. Mm -hmm. I can't do those things. Therefore, you end up in this place where there is nothingness mm -hmm. in terms of truth. And so whatever you experienced is true for you and whatever I experienced is true for me. How often have you heard that in society recently? All the time. But the problem is, what if what's true for me is you need to let me kick your rear end every day. Well, that's always where it breaks. It's always Why? where it breaks down. Because without without like the ethic of Jesus or even oh, even we Kantian need to be in the animal kingdom, Dave. Yeah, I know. And but I'm the biggest lion, as so soon you as might as hurts. well just go ahead and die cuz I'm going to catch you. Yeah. As I mean, soon as, as soon as it hurts someone else, suddenly the but that's collide. not true because we'll cancel people and, re and and do away with their ability to earn a living simply because they said something we didn't like. So it doesn't matter. It is good to hurt somebody if it's the right somebody. Well, I think that's a that's keying us into the slippery <laughs> slope that society's on because eventually yeah. we'll cancel people in literal yes. physical terms as well as just societal and reputation-wise. You are literally hearing politicians right now saying, give Ukraine to Russia because it's too much trouble for us to mess with. It's scary. Yeah, it's horrifying. Mm -hmm. And so and so, what we're facing is this moment where what's best for me, it doesn't matter if it hurts somebody mm -hmm. else. If it's best for me, then fine. Putin can shoot you and kill you because mm -hmm. it's best for me if I don't get involved. Right. So once again, the way of Jesus prevails as the best, um, yes. the best way to live um, yes. in that when we walk with him, when we talk with him, when we're living, even if we just, even if we people don't know Jesus, so this is mm -hmm. the wild thing about how good Jesus is. Even if people don't know him and follow his way of life, it's a life that's filled with yeah. love and truth and goodness. And there's the the societal reciprocation that often comes from mm -hmm. treating people well, um, even just treating people the way that they that you want to be treated, right. um, tends to reciprocate really well. It does. Right? And uh, so it's good in that way. But knowing him, truly knowing him, changes everything from the inside out. 
And it's incomprehensible for somebody who's experienced Christ, and now I'm testifying a little bit, but <laughs> incomprehensible for somebody who's experienced him and know him to ever say that your life doesn't matter, you know, yeah. or, or that you have some possible truth or reality that's separate than mine because we're both created in the same image. You bear the image of the same right. God that created me. And because of that, no matter how much I disagree with you or how much you think you're the big lion or whatever you said before, right. Right. Uh, and you want to hurt me um, and you're my enemy, maybe, mm -hmm. I still, I'm still called to love you right. and somehow put you first. And that doesn't make sense, but it's meaningful because it's mm -hmm. meaningful to God. Well, and it's better in our lives. Mm -hmm. You said this, and I'm going to rephrase what you said earlier. If I follow what Jesus teaching, even if I'm, I don't call myself an adherent of Jesus, mm -hmm. if I just follow Jesus teaching, my life is better and the world around me is better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I make other people better because I'm following Jesus. I'm following what he said, love God, love people, go together. Mm -hmm. Now, if I actually fall in love with God, all that does is up the value that I'm adding to other people. Yeah. Because now I love God and that's making me that much, can I say this, more better? More better. And, um, and the more days. better I become, the more better I make people around me. Yeah. And so, and by the way, you can enjoy life while doing all that. Yep. So. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. We're going to go into pragmatism next week, which is going to be a good one and one that our culture desperately needs to hear. So we'll catch you next time. Thank you again for joining us. We hope that this resource helped you in your journey towards loving God and loving people better every day. If you enjoyed this, please share it with your friends. Lastly, we just wanted to give a special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. If you'd like to learn more about how to partner with us financially, just click give for more information. We appreciate anything you can do to help. Thanks for being a member of our online family. We love serving Jesus with you.